My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome. As we continue our journey through the Word of God, and today we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 as we continue our journey through the very first letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Now remember, Paul wrote two letters. The first letter to the church in Corinth was about disputes that they were having between themselves. And the second letter of Corinthians is about the disputes the church in Corinth was having with Paul himself. Now in 1 Corinthians, in order for Paul to help them work out and solve their problems about what was going on inside their own church. He had to establish his credentials, and that's really what he did in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. And then he kind of continues that theme into chapter 2, establishing how he taught to them. He was really having a conversation with them saying, listen, before I tell you how to solve your disputes with each other, I need to tell you not just my credentials, but why I taught you the things I taught you and how I actually taught you those things. Because in chapter 1, Paul said something very interesting in the middle of chapter 1. He said that the wisdom of men could actually make the gospel ineffective. In other words, if men relied on their own words and not on the power of the Holy Spirit and not on the wisdom of God, it could actually make the gospel message be ineffective. And so he's saying you can't do that. You have to be so careful. And that's uh, 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, because they were all concerned about who was baptizing who or who'd been baptized by whom, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. And and that was, so he, he was really zoning in on how wisdom is what's going to help them not just preach the gospel, but it's also going to help them solve their disputes. So that's the preface as we move into 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So let's start off with verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom. So straight away he's talking about wisdom. Or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration demonstration of the spirit and of power. Paul, when he comes to Corinth, it's actually all chronicled in Acts chapter 18. And he comes and meets with this couple called Aquila and Priscilla. And that was, you know, how documents how he actually arrived in in Corinth. Now, uh, Aquila and Priscilla were tent makers, similar to Paul. And he was there in Corinth for over a year and a half. And he actually supported himself by not through offerings, by by actually running a tent-making business. And so he's reminding them, when I came to you and I spent that year and a half, remember, this is what I did. I supported myself uh, and I didn't come with excellence of speech when I came to spend all that time with you. I, I didn't come as some kind of philosopher. I wasn't a salesman. I wasn't trying to get offerings. I, I didn't do that. I, I supported myself. I came as a witness declaring to you the testimony of God. Guzik says this, Paul was certainly a man who could reason and debate persuasively, but he didn't use that approach in preaching the gospel. He made a conscious decision. 
I determined to put the emphasis on Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul was an ambassador. He was not a salesman. So Paul took this approach when he was in Corinth and he has to remind them this is the approach he took and now he's telling them why he took it. Paul understood that when he was in Corinth, he wasn't giving them what they wanted. He was giving them what they needed. And he knew that he needed to determine to preach Jesus Christ. He knew that he needed to determine to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And this is what he's trying to tell the church in Corinth. As long as you determine to know all these other things, you're going to have disputes. But the thing that will unify you is the wisdom to understand that you should have no determination to know anything else except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, when he says to not know anything, it doesn't mean that he, he means, oh, I don't want to know anything else apart from that. Uh, Fee says this, does, this does not mean to not know anything, does not mean that he left all other knowledge aside, but rather that he had the gospel with its crucified Messiah as his singular focus and passion while he was among them. He also says some very interesting words here. He says, I was, he, I was with you and I was with uh, much fear, weakness and trembling. Now, this is interesting because Paul is uh, somebody who you know didn't struggle with the confidence in Christ Jesus, but he had his own issues. He had a thorn in the flesh. He had things he had to navigate. Uh, we don't have anything from the Bible that says he was some big strapping guy that everybody was scared of. And he knew his own limitations and he knew that they actually made him weak. And in this instance, he says, it actually started to make me afraid. And what it did is he was he's trying to make the point, I didn't come to you all cocky as if I knew everything. I actually was kind of scared to tell you what I was telling you. I didn't know how it was all going to go down. I was just relying on God. I wasn't relying on me. G. Campbell Morgan, so great was Paul's sense of weakness and fear, so profound his lack of trust in himself that he quaked and he trembled. Those are the secrets of strength in all preachers. And that's so true. You start to rely on yourself. You're in trouble. And then he says, I didn't come to you with persuasive words. He wasn't rejecting persuasive preaching. Um, in fact, if you look at his sermon in Acts chapter 26, uh, it was very persuasive. Uh, but he was, re he was rejecting a preacher's ability to persuade to whom they're preaching, persuade them with human wisdom instead of godly wisdom. Spurgeon said this, It is ours to speak the truth boldly, and in every case we shall be a sweet savour unto God. But to temporise in the hope of making converts is to do evil that good may come. And this is never to be thought of for an instant. So this is what Paul's saying. So how did Paul come? It came in fear and trembling, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. But he's just said, I didn't have any power myself, but I came with power and you thought it was me. You thought it, that power that I was speaking of was me trying to be all brave. No, that was from the Holy Spirit. And he knew that his job was just to preach and then let the Holy Spirit be the conveyor of power and the convictor of God. Paul's preaching wasn't pers persuasive or impressive on some uh, to other humans, but uh, from a spiritual perspective, it had a massive amount of power. Then we move on to verse 5. 
that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In other words, I did all this so that you wouldn't think it was me and therefore you wouldn't disqualify yourself and you would know that it's only if God is in you. Guzik says this, if someone's faith is in the wisdom of men and not the power of God, if someone can be persuaded into the kingdom by human wisdom, then they can also be persuaded out of the kingdom by human wisdom. And that's what happens to a lot of people. They don't have the roots go down deep enough because they've made the decision on the wisdom of men and not the wisdom of God. And this is what Paul was preaching against. And he said, this is why you've got disunity in your church. Okay, let's move on to verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Just because Paul wouldn't cater to the love of human wisdom that the people in Corinth had doesn't mean that his message didn't contain any wisdom. There was a massive amount of wisdom in his message, but only Christians could understand it. The people who weren't accepting it couldn't understand it, therefore it didn't seem wise. Now, the mature that Paul's talking about here, uh, you know, they can be the people who are saved versus unsaved, and he's calling them mature. You're mature if you're saved, immature if you're not. Or he could be talking about people who are saved and then there's people who have matured since they've been saved and people who are still immature after they've been saved. And I know what he's speaking about here because I know that I pastor people who have been a Christian for 30 years, but they're immature. In other words, they're still baby Christians and that's because they've never grown. They've never consumed Hebrews 4 and 5 and 6, the meat of the word of God. They're still like little babies drinking baby formula and milk. And, and so I, I think that's what Paul is referring to here. Uh, he, he uses the same word mature, the, the same Greek word is used in Ephesians chapter 4 th- verse 13 and uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 20, Philippians 3.15, and it, where he talks about the, the reference to uh, a, a baby not having the discernment to know what is good to eat and what isn't. In other words, a baby will put anything in its mouth. And so that's why I think that's what he's talking about. See, people who are growing in their relationship with God, they recognize God's wisdom. They recognize that it's different than man's wisdom. And they accept it even if it doesn't make sense to them because they understand that it's godly. And so that's what Paul's talking about here. The rulers of this age do not recognize that. Now, that's the rulers of this age, both the you know, demonic rulers of this age, uh, you know, that, that, that Satan is, is trying to, to dominate this world, but also those people who are ungodly, who are the rulers who don't rule in a godly way. So what you have here is a leading to Paul talking about Jesus with a term that is rarely used. And that is where he gets to the end of verse 8 and he says, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Most people who study the Bible 
think that this title, the Lord of Glory, is the highest, most lofty title that the Apostle Paul ever actually gives Jesus. And it is very much proof that Paul believed in the Trinity. He believed that Jesus was God. He believed that Jesus was the second person of the Trinity at the same time that God the Father was the first person of the Trinity. And Paul was not going to give that title to anybody else that he considered lesser than God the Father when he talks about the Lord of glory. So this is, this is the Apostle Paul starting to set some doctrine for the Trinitarian understanding of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because he's weaving in, in the first two chapters, reliance on the Holy Spirit through God the Father. That's who's appointed me. This is where what I'm doing. I'm doing this to preach the message of Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's the Lord of glory. Where does glory come from? comes from the Father. So this is where he's starting to tie it all in. It's all starting to lattice over together. Okay, so let's move on to verse 9. But as it is written... Now, this is very interesting because he, he, he quotes here as it is written and he's paraphrasing Isaiah chapter 64. I has not seen nor ear heard nor has it entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Uh, actually, let me keep reading that. But Verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit for the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. So here you go, Paul again, continuing this Trinitarian theme. Now he's understanding, he's weaving in the Holy Spirit into the Father and how only the Holy Spirit knows the things of the Father. Now, he said, as it is written, it's not a strict quote from Isaiah chapter 64, Paul's paraphrasing it to remind us that God's wisdom and his plan is beyond something that we will ever be able to work out or find out that will be revealed to us. And he communicates exactly the same message in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, where he talks about the mystery of the church. And we have to understand that from a timeline perspective, before the Apostle Paul taught this, God's people had a very vague understanding. It wasn't very clear about God's glory, uh, about his work and what his work would do for his people and how they would see his glory in that. They, they couldn't really fully comprehend it. That's why Paul's teaching them here. Now remember, he's got, he's got a, a reason why he's teaching them all these things. And he reminds them that it's only through his spirit that you can understand this. It's only the Holy Spirit that can tell us godly wisdom. It's, it's, you can't attain it through human means or human investigation. You can do it by revelation. Can you know it from revelation from the Holy Spirit? 
No one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. This is a reminder of the sovereignty of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Together, they are three in one. They have their three separate roles. They have their three in one roles. Their three in one role is a combined sovereignty of working together in your life and my life in mysterious ways that we won't always understand or know. This is just a reminder. Paul's trying to tell the church in Corinth, and he's underlying a reason for it. This is why you start to have some disagreements with each other because you don't understand what I was teaching you. So then we move on to verse 12, um, which is about how we can actually receive this wisdom. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit, capital S, not the lower, lowercase spirit of the world, but the uppercase spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The wisdom that you're going to receive, Paul says, is wisdom by the Spirit, and the Spirit is from God, not the Spirit of this world. Now, Romans 8 tell us that, tells us that you can't uh, ha- be in Jesus and not have the Holy Spirit. And that is a reminder, Paul's saying here, when, when you accepted Jesus Christ, you had the Holy Spirit come and dwell in you. Now he goes on later on to talk to the church in Ephesians that after having the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they now need to have the infilling. Now he says, go be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's why there was a different level of spiritual wisdom because some people had the Holy Spirit dwelling in them through salvation. Some of them had been matured on to being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't mean that being filled with the Holy Spirit means all of a sudden now you understand every mystery of God and you are the most wise person ever. But it does mean that every Christian has the ability to understand the basics of the Christian message that some of the wisdom of God will be unobtainable. It's something you can't obtain. There will be mysteries that will still belong to God, which was a furtherance of the concept in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. The things that have been revealed to us belong to us. The things that have not been revealed to us belong to God. This is Paul teaching them some mature doctrine. So then he says, now make sure that you only compare spiritual things with spiritual. Um. You have, to, you have to understand that when you are studying spiritual concepts that you must be taught by the Holy Spirit what those things are. It's also a warning to not compare spiritual concepts with natural concepts. Not, don't, don't mix them. It's kind of like that term of talking about a mixed metaphor. It's like, no, it doesn't work. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Okay, so then we move on to verse 14 as we're getting to the close of the chapter here. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Can't know them. You either have them revealed to you by the Holy Spirit, or you don't know them. 
But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Which is a quote. He's quoting there. But we have the mind of Christ. I'm going to talk about that quote. The ancient Greek word for the natural man is the word sukikos, and it describes the uh, somebody who would be known as a materialist, somebody who lives as if there's nothing beyond this physical life. It's how animals live. Animals don't live with any concept that there's anything beyond their actual breathing life. And we all start off as natural men and women, and we inherit life from Adam, but we also inherit death from Adam. And we are born naturally into this state of needing salvation because we can't save ourselves. Guzik says this, we have to deal with the material world. So there is nothing inherently sinful in natural life. God is not displeased when you have to eat, drink, sleep and work. But life on this level is without spiritual insight. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Spiritual things seem like foolishness to a natural man. Uh, they would say, well, what, why would you waste time on spiritual things when you, you'll be making money or being more effective or solving some world problem? They seem like foolishness. But there's still natural things that you need to do to survive. This is what Paul's talking about here. But the natural man, without God, doesn't want the things of God because he thinks that they're foolish, they're silly. And part of the reason he thinks they're silly is because he doesn't understand them. The reason he doesn't understand them is because they haven't been revealed to him. Why haven't they been revealed to him? Because he hasn't taken the step of faith to believe in Jesus Christ. Once you take that step of faith in Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit comes into you, starts to reveal to you the mysteries, and now you understand. The Holy Spirit has convicted you of your need for Jesus. After you've responded to your need for Jesus, the Holy Spirit starts to reveal the mysteries to you. Now, um, it would be wrong to expect people who are not Christians to understand spiritual things. How would they? Unfortunately, there's too many Christians who get saved, give their life to Jesus. Well, they actually don't give their life to Jesus. They get saved without giving their life to Jesus. In other words, they receive the gift of salvation, but they, don't, they actually hold back all their life for themselves. And they still think like a natural person, like a natural man or woman. And they, they refuse to use the Holy Spirit to discern situations. They refuse to use the wisdom of God. I see people do this all the time as a pastor. They make decisions on where they're going to move to, where they're going to live, what job they're going to have, where they're going to go and what they're going to go and do. Uh, and they do it all on their own natural wisdom, even though they're Christians. They're not discerning anything. They're just using their natural logic, rationale and reasoning. But we are meant to be spiritually discerning in all things concerning the Spirit. Now, the Spirit is concerned with everything in our life because we've made a decision to determine to not know anything except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So why is it that then when we go and make these massive life decisions that we don't include Jesus in them through the power of the Holy Spirit and allow the Spirit to give us godly wisdom instead of relying on our own wisdom? This is what... Paul's talking about. Then he says something very interesting. He who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Paul's not saying that every Christian is above criticism. Okay, that's not what he's saying. 
in fact, much of this letter is him criticising Christians who are part of the church. But his point is clear. No natural man is equipped to judge a spiritual man. So then he goes on and he very loosely quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13, where he refers to the mind of Yahweh who is here translated as Lord. But the Apostle Paul substitutes the words mind of Christ for the mind of the Lord. Why? Because he's revealing Jesus as Yahweh. He's decreeing and saying, you have to understand Jesus is God. So again, we have the Trinity woven all the way through this. How do you and I grow in wisdom? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We need all three to grow in godly wisdom. That's my observation. I want to know what you observe. I want you to type down in the comments below. Put it down there. Let us know. Share. And uh, let's let's see what you get out of this. Heavenly Father, thank you for the wisdom that you reveal to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.